Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Wednesday the 28th of June. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I'm holding my nerve as the deadlines approach. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we go toe-to-toe with the headlines, grapple with the daily's weirdest moments and occasionally give an arms aloft cheer when the papers do something great. It does happen. And we have a lovely listener review from America. Great way to start the morning. Wish we had a podcast like this talking up or down. US Papers says Brave Girl 01, who's my kind of woman. We're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Matt, sorry for Hancocking it up. Ex-Health Secretary apologises for Covid strategy. Grope for me! Tory wannabe London mayor candidate still standing despite sexual assault accusations and pingers for winners. Businessman proposes an enhanced Olympics where athletes can take any drugs they want. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, the show that might have smoked once but never inhaled. I'm Miranda Sawyer and here to take a heavy toke on the doobie of news, it's TV and radio presenter and host of the Smart 7 podcast, Jamie East. Hello, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're really happy to have our friend and colleague John Elledge back with us after a painful few days. We've missed him and we're very glad he's here. Hello, John. Thank you, guys. I'm very glad to be here, too. All right. So what have we got on the headlines front? Jamie, I'm going to you first. OK. Uh, in The Guardian, a uh, story about uh, the government plans to hit net zero have been pretty catastrophic. They've not done a single thing. Government advisor condemns UK for failed leadership over net zero. Uh, in The Mail, we have seven days of NHS chaos as senior doctors walk out. Only those over 100 grand, though. And also with the mail, uh, another breast-groping uh, story from Sarah Vine saying how she had her breasts groped at number 10 by Harry Enfield. And in the star, pack your wags. Expert warns that 99% of dogs need a holiday to improve their mental health. Oh, there's a nice picture as well, isn't there? Yeah, it's got a little, little Vizsla. That's a Vizsla wearing uh, heart sunglasses, sipping a pina colada. Oh, quite right. John, what do you have? Uh, I'm going to be honest, mine are a bit less cheery. They're about Matt Hancock at the COVID inquiry. So we've got from the Metro, we've got body bags, a higher priority than virus. Uh, The Express has gone with, I want to be brutally honest with the public, Mm. which is a take. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the star, being the star, has dressed him as a clown and gone with Coco. It was a real circus. Amazing. <laughs> OK, so look, let's have a look at a couple of the stories. Um, so we had Sarah Vine there talking about groping. Um, this has come out of a, another story. It's on page six and seven of the mail. It started at the beginning of this week 
In the mail, it says crisis grows for number 10 Grope claim Tory. This crisis is because Daisy Goodwin, who's a formidable TV producer, I have met her. She's brilliant. Uh, she's amazing. And she has written two articles in The Times and The Mail about her encounter 10 years ago with this bloke called Daniel Korski. He has got to the final three in the contest to become the Tory candidate to become London mayor in May next year. So when she met him, he was a spad 10 years ago. He invited her to Downing Street, said we want to talk about a potential TV show and, you know, grabbed her breast while she was there. She said, which is amazing, are you actually touching my breast? Which he kind of went, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and went, like that. But she didn't write about it at the time. She's writing about it now. So, John, I'm going to go to you. Who is this man, Daniel Korski? This is a very good question. He's someone I feel like I'm almost offended that we have to know who this man is. <laughs> um, he's, I mean, he's, he's on the short list of uh, Tory candidates for London mayor. Uh, it's a measure of how well the Tories are doing in London that they're all... They're people from nowhere. Like every every election campaign in London, their candidates get worse somehow. Yeah. We're now several levels below Zach Goldsmith. Um, he was once upon a time, I think in the David Cameron years, he was deputy head of the Downing Street Policy Unit. Um, he's also had sort of ama- he's had an amazing career. In, tw- in 2015, uh, he was going around asking politicians not to regulate Uber while uh, fervently denying that he was lobbying on behalf of Uber. Whoa. Um, a couple of years after that, he started this company called Public.io. This is an incredible story in which he would uh, help a selection of tech startups win government contracts uh, in exchange for the small matter of 3% of their equity. Anyway, he is apparently one of the Tories' three best candidates to be mayor of London. Unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. So he's, I mean, what's actually interesting about this story is that despite all this, he's been doing quite well within the Tory party. Nobody's kind of pulled him up on it. But Daisy Goodwin has pulled him up on the way that he treated her when she met him. He's denied it, I have to say, completely. Um, And um, what's uh, interesting about it now is that she's actually finally put in a formal complaint to the number 10 cabinet office. So they have to take it seriously. Before she kind of did that thing that women often do, which she thought, okay, it was a bit dodgy. I'll brush it over, brush past it. We'll just get on with life. Um, But now it's becoming more serious. Yeah, I mean, as I understand it, there is a bit of a sort of uh, a row going on over whose responsibility it is to answer these allegations. Mm. Uh, with both the government and the Tory party sort of saying it's the other lot's responsibility. That what they don't want is him to answer for it because he was on. He was on. You were telling us before we started recording, John, that he was on Talk TV. And... Oh yeah, this is an amazing quote. Talk TV asked him uh, if he'd always been faithful to his wife, and his reply was, "Look, I mean, I have a fantastic marriage to my wife, and I'm really, you know, excited that we've built a fantastic family together. I don't think it would be appropriate to talk about anything else." <laughs> Which <laughs> is kind of hundred percent appropriate. Yeah. Well. Very I mean, it's, it's, there's a strange twist about it. I mean, I do think the story will run yeah. because the main story... But reason, will he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, well, exactly. The main story is because he's completely denying it. I think that perhaps if he had said, look, I did do it, it was appalling, yeah. I'm different now. I'm, you know, I thought we were kind of, maybe this was a bit of a date and I was really clumsy. I mean... Maybe can, we could forgive him, you but if you just kind, says yeah. it's, it's difficult to say it was a bit of a date in Downing Street. Exactly. With, with, and also in the he form was, of a meeting. And what also a crap he was in date. It, yeah, terrible. <laughs> absolutely appalling. And also he was in his mid thirties at the time, which, you know, I thought he must have been like in his early twenties. But anyway, um in a strange twist today, Sarah Vine yeah. has um now described a party I wondered if she's just what she's trying to say is left-wing people do this too. So she describes a party in 2010 at Downing Street where um, basically Harry Enfield says to her, do you mind if I have a go and jiggles her boobs? Yeah, I think she's she's 
there's a bit of solidarity for Daisy as well. It's kind of like you know this is this isn't a a unique uh, event that's happened. Blokes tend to touch breasts or they're used to in, in, in inappropriate ways and yeah I think it is a bit of like it's not just not just the Tories you know uh, famous uh, lefty Lily Allen's godfather Harry Enfield did the same but I think slightly le- not sinister is the wrong word but slightly less sexually I guess is the, is the, is the yeah I think that he, the- he was doing in a kind of like his comedy character not that it's excusable in any way because no. he touched her breasts and uh, against her against her will but kind of like did it in a kind of like look at them bloody things you know yeah which is which is equally as horrible yeah uh, it's interesting it's because horrible it, it, yeah. the the main thing that I find, you know speaking as a woman he was speaking as a father Daniel Corsi wasn't he but is that the idea that breasts are simultaneously kind of sexy and funny which we've always had in Britain and yeah. we don't seem to be get be able to get rid of that this thing that is literally just part of a woman's body is something slightly to be mocked yeah and one the line that really lands with me in Sarah Vine Sarah Vine is not my favorite columnist but she what she says is that she basically has to laugh it off and she says it did rather take the wind out of my sails. Yeah. What she's saying is that she felt humiliated, mm. which is exactly what Daisy Goodwin was saying. She felt humiliated. It is humiliating. So this is an unusual story. It was in The Times today, and it was in the... Telegraph um, yesterday. Essentially, a man called Aaron D'Souza wants to stage, we can call this the Drug Olympics next year. This is a serious proposition. He has a website and everything, meaning one where athletes can use performance-enhancing drugs. So he's, his argument is that the current system where you're not allowed to use uh, performance-enhancing drugs means that people use them, but then they um, pretend that they haven't. That's the deal about yeah, it. Yeah, they're secretive about their about steroids. Yeah, so and, he's and, saying yeah. if we if we allow um, all these uh, all these athletes to use drugs, then world records will be broken. You know, uh, we'll all get amazing kind of performances out of these athletes, and everything will be fine. Yeah, he said that, he said that uh, you know the current world hundred meter record stands at about nine point five eight seconds. Wouldn't it be amazing to see someone break that nine minute barrier? It's like, well, yeah, it would, but not if they're just up to the gills in on, on amphetamines you know it's like, it's <laughs> exactly. like it kind of takes it away a bit doesn't it they may as well be on roller skates jet powered roller skates <laughs> yeah exactly somebody pushing them along it's ridiculous I mean he's a funny character this man he's uh, previously known he bankrupted Gorka by funding the whole Hogan defamation case he sounds like somebody it's another def- disruptor exactly he's a disruptor this is what he wants to do um, and weirdly at the same time there's a few other stories about other people taking drugs yeah yeah. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, the uh, the Times have this. Uh, Elon Musk takes small doses, uh, underlining the word small, of ketamine to manage depression, while Sergey Brin, the Google co-founder, enjoys magic mushrooms, a report claimed. Now, I've heard of microdosing mushrooms. I've heard of microdosing LSD. Uh, I've never heard of microdosing ketamine. I'm not quite. I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing to to treat uh, depression. I did not know it was a thing to treat depression. What I would say is a kind of thing amongst students. It's a very cheap drug and. And if you want to get really out of it, then yeah. that's your cho- your drug of choice. It seems very kind of I like to sit at home in front of my video. Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this you is know. almost like the homeopathic kind of version of that, isn't it? Because microdosing is something like 0.2 milligrams. I sound like I know a bit too much about this already. <laughs> <don't I>? um, <laughs> but mushrooms are prevalent 
I mean, they yep. have become. They've. I mean, they're not come out of nowhere because mushrooms have been around since the year dot. But they always used to be. I always used to be really scared of mushrooms when I was a kid. There was. It's like. It's like because you know the red and white spotted mushrooms. They'd kill you in an instant, and you'd have like the big lads going. It's like let's get some magic mushrooms. There's some down by the rugby field, and they'd go, and you didn't see them for days. Yeah. Now I was like, would you come back from Glastonbury? I've never like it is now the middle class uh, drug du jour. It's yeah. it's just insane. Uh, mushroom gummies, mushroom chocolate, just mushrooms on toast. It's just like <laughs> it was everywhere. People and brazenly open about it. It's, yeah, it's now the new it's the new spliff. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because it's actually you know underlying this is a more serious story. I think about how depression is treated by doctors because mm. if people go to the doctor, they tend to get given kind of enormous doses of kind of amitriptyline. Hundred percent. Yeah, and and. And, and kind of can't move for days. So people are trying to treat their angst themselves. I believe, I believe you know, I'm an advocate of it. I believe it does work. You know, mm. I, I, I know tons of people that microdose mushrooms and it works like a treat for them. I have to say it's very Dulwich mum. It is very Dulwich mum. I mean, most of them, the ones I know, are Dulwich mums. I hate all the Dulwich mums out there. Thanks for listening. It's literally the, the, the new equivalent of Valium, how to get through your day. <laughs> Now, headless body found in topless bar. Headlines are the lifeblood of the papers. Sometimes they're worth your cash all on their own. On every edition of Papercuts, we choose the very best ones out there. What have we got, Jamie? What do you have? Uh, Everyone's favourite Englishman, uh, Danny Dyer, (laughs) wants to die a fucking hero by bumping (laughs) off Vladimir Putin live on TV. an unreasonable request this why is, would you not set this up this is from uh, a brilliant episode where he appeared with Kathy Burke on uh, where there's a will there's a wake and the headline is dire warning I'll do in Putin star will choke tyrant with can you guess no idea pillowcase <laughs> Specific, isn't it? Oh, he's, he's thought about he's this thought, a lot. He's, he's thought about this an unnerving amount, I would say. Well, it, he's, he's got he's got form for it though. Do you not remember his infamous nine eleven tweet, where it's like, "Still does my nut into this day that those slags flew into that building." <laughs> 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 He's like he's just the gift that keeps giving, isn't he? Okay. Yeah, and I'm sticking with the uh, I'm sticking with the star as well for my next one. Um, this is about Pisces men with beards cheat the most. Look at you. Uh, I've got a beard. I'm an Aries. Thank you. Uh, Hi, Mrs. East. Um, (laughs) Relax. Uh, And the the headline is Stubble and Strife. Oh, very good. Like that. Okay. And John, what do you have? So the Sun's got a nice story about, I'm going to massively mispronounce this, Pregoshin. Pretty good. Uh, okay, that's, that's good. good. That's I'm doing well. Uh, the 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 um, guy who runs the the Wagner Group and attempt and had the uh, abortive coup against against Putin over the weekend uh, is apparently um, he's hiding away somewhere where he feels safe and uh, in in Belarus I think. And the headline is Warlord's Hotel has no windows. Very good. <laughs> because obviously the most dangerous place in Russia is next to a window. Yeah, definitely. Balconies avoid. Yeah. Uh, the Telegraph, meanwhile, has uh, a lovely report of a, a, a different coup uh, going on with uh, in a charity called the Actors Benevolent Fund, uh, which has been chaired by um, Penelope Keefe. Who, who fans may remember as Margot in The Good Life. Yep. Uh, she's, she's been, she was the chair of that from 1990 until very recently. Um, and there's been a row over the ousting of her and the other trustees. Uh, the Telegraph, it's not even the headline, it's the strap line for it on the front of the paper is Last of the Summer Wine. Yes. Yeah, spelled W-I-S-H-I-N. It's a very funny. Ha, ha, ha. Um, mine is from The Mail, and it's uh, King Charles doing one of his meet and greets. Um, at this point, um, he's meeting people 
people and they're all dressed in dressing gowns because they're at a wellness centre and the headline is So Have You Come Spa? Very good. (laughs) Okay, remember at the top we had quite a lot of uh, Matt Hancock headlines. We had Body Bag Covid Strategy Was Completely Wrong. We had Coco It Was A Real Circus. I want to be brutally honest with the public. Matt Hancock has appeared in front of the COVID inquiry. And at the moment, the COVID inquiry is investigating how prepared the UK was for the pandemic. It's the preparation bits. The papers do not like what he has been saying. Essentially, what he's been saying is that the preparations for the pandemic assumed that everyone would die, which hence body bags, rather than protecting the public. This is his quote. The assumption was that it would not be possible to stop the spread of a disease. It's a bit. It was a bit of a disastrous performance, wasn't it, John? It was. I mean, you can see what he's trying to do. He's, it's sort of, an, I think, an attempt to shift the blame to a point before he was anywhere near the health service, which does sort of make sense as a strategy. Basically, what he was saying is that all, all, all the government's sort of pandemic policies were about how to deal with uh, uh, an, an event that caused mass death yeah. rather than how to prevent the mass death in the first place, yeah. which, you know, from some points of view, that is often like many years ago, I was a health reporter. That is sort of the issue of the NHS is it's very much focused on dealing with the problems when they arise rather than preventing them in the first place. So it's sort of that writ large. Um, I think from Hancock's point of view, the reason this went wrong is he's, he's been... He sat at the inquiry saying things like the, the doctrine was, can we buy enough body bags? Where are we going to bury the dead? Totally failing to learn the lessons of the winter of discontent that if you start talking about things like burying the dead and body bags, that is going to be the headline next to a picture of your face. Yeah, yeah very much. I mean, he, I mean, a lot of what he said was really quite shocking, though. I mean, you know, we kind of guessed it, but he did admit that basically he had no idea how many people were in the care homes. No, I mean, just which no is, idea. Which is really shocking com- considering how much they focused on care homes as the story and as a kind of, as a, as a catalyst for, for, for containing COVID. Yeah. And yet they had, they, they, there's no spreadsheet somewhere. That no, tells they had no idea. And they also didn't even know what protections were in place in these care homes. Yeah. I but mean, it's because they, we, the state, has, I mean, at risk of defending Matt Hancock here, the state has outsourced all this. Yeah, they're all private. To private homes. equity yeah. funding and very badly paid staff. So I'm not in any way surprised that nobody in government knew how many people were in these places yeah. or what the conditions were. It's To some extent, he was just the guy who happened to be in the job at the time. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I mean, one of the things that he tried to do, which went also completely wrong, was he tried to... There's a lot of bereaved families in the inquiry who were following, obviously, and he went up to them I mean, he stepped towards them mm. to try and say that he was profoundly sorry. This went incredibly badly. Well, he's just got no... He's got he's the worst people skills man I've ever seen in my life. Mm. You know, he's got no way of emoting. He doesn't, you know, in my opinion, doesn't really have any empathy. He can't, he, he doesn't really seem to understand how humans work. You know, looking at his bloody TikToks, you know, he, he was comparing, he was rating a league of beers last week. And this is a man who's like knew he was facing a COVID inquiry this week and was going to be hauled over the coals. And yet he's working on, he's always working on Brand Han- Hancock. And to him, in his mind, that was a great press opportunity for him to look like the people's guy and to show his, how sorry he was. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually what you find about it is it's 
to do with character. So mm. you have a character like Boris Johnson who never says sorry for anything and people go, OK, fine, he can kind of bluster through. If you have someone like Matt Hancock who just seem it makes him seem completely incompetent at all yeah. times. It just He keeps saying, sorry, we got it wrong. Sorry, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do it. You know, my emotions took hold of me and that's why I was caught snogging somebody. And, I, you know, it was all unprepared. I'm, I'm really, really sorry. He just keeps having to say sorry. Well, he says he sorry, but, no then he, but, then, but then refuses to, to accept responsibility for it as well. Yeah. So he says sorry, but then says, but it wasn't my fault. I mean, the whole performance was about shoving responsibility onto other people and yeah. different bits of the government. And to some extent, that's fair, but it is nonetheless the wrong tone. Yeah. yeah. It's also very uh, weird that he said, um, it's completely indefensible, another quote from him, that this year... So not COVID. This year, four hundred and fifty million pounds were spent on healthcare. Spent on healthcare, which sounds quite a lot. But fifty-three billion pounds were spent on military defence. So he's now saying everything is wrong about the government. You were in the government, mate. You were there. You were, there. Yeah. Yeah. You were literally health secretary. What yeah. I want to know is what's his game plan? Where is he expecting this to end up? Does he seriously think there could be a comeback one day? I know. Unbelievable. I'd just like to point one last thing about this, which is the Sun <laughs> <laughs> has got the COVID inquiry on page sixteen. Very relevant. Wow. And it literally, the headline says, Brexit helped us prepare for COVID. But it's a take. So are they trying to champion COVID as a good thing there or what? <laughs> I mean, Hancock did say that one of the reasons we did not run out of drugs is because of the stockpiling for no-deal Brexit. Yeah. yeah. But we nearly did. We nearly did. We came within hours. Yeah. Let's have a look at uh, climate change, always cheery, and one of The Guardian's favourites. Do you want to read out that headline again, Jamie? Yeah, so the headline in The Guardian is Government Advisor Condemns UK for Failed Leadership Over Net Zero. And this is basically just talking about how it's just a distinct lack of urgency. You know, the government have been really good at kind of like, right, here's the plan. Here we're laying out 10 points that are going to tackle climate change, they're going to blah, blah, blah. And it's the same, they do it for inflation, they do it for everything. And then very quietly do the square root of my arsehole. (laughs) It's true. I mean, this is from (laughs) Lord Dedden, who's the outgoing chair of the Committee on Climate Change. And he says UK has, you know, I mean, he doesn't use your words, but he says we've lost the leadership on climate change. Same thing. It's it's the same thing. We're not insulating homes. There's no progress on transport emissions. No decision on hydrogen for home heating. Yeah. There's no slow growth of wind and solar farms. We're not. They're still arguing about the benefits of wind farms. You know, they're still, they're still, you know, they're still debating whether nuclear is the cleanest form of energy. And yet we just need to be building the, you know, we, we, we shouldn't still be talking about it. We're 10 years behind from when we first started talking about wind farms. You know, it's just, it's ludicrous. Yeah. It also does seem, I have to say, John, slightly part of this. Uh, government's modus operandi they just don't do anything do they they talk a lot and they don't do anything no they're, they're, they're the culture war government that's all they care about is 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 owning the libs basically yeah which which it turns out is not going to protect us from climate change um the the tabloids are quite excited about this is the weird thing like it does feel like you know we're all going to die horribly and quite soon and and the mail's headline is hotter than 1976 exclamation mark this june set to be the warmest ever talking about how like the month is is on course to beat previous temperature records for the month by two degrees yeah that's terrifying exactly it it's not it's, this is not few water scorcher this <laughs> yeah, is well, terrible also 1976 was terrifying yeah. I mean, <laughs> people died because it was so hot they dress it up as a kind of like 
get your bikinis out in the garden for the weekend, get your barbecues ready, forgetting how grim last summer was. It yeah. was, you know, it was awful. No one could sleep. You, tiles on people's roofs were melting. It was just, you know, dogs couldn't, you couldn't take your dog for a walk. They couldn't it, go on holiday. They, well, no, and then exactly that. And the Daily Star are going, don't forget, dogs need a holiday. Yeah, well, they do. Possibly not in the sun, I have to say. Um, there's another side to this, isn't there? So there's this climate change uh, crisis is also accompanied by a few stories which are on the uh, front of a few papers. We've got a lovely picture of a lady on the cover of The Telegraph and she was the head of Thames Water. And the story is essentially she's uh, quit her £1.6 million a year job. Can I just say that again? £1.6 million a year. She was the head of Thames Water. She's quit the job, uh, quit her job. No reasons have been given, but we can kind of assume uh, things have been going a bit wrong. I assume she was quite bad at her job. Well, exactly. Yeah. Maybe she just didn't need to earn any more money. I mean, it sounds like she's probably got quite a lot <laughs> yeah, already. she's got quite a lot. But this is also accompanied by, in the Times, uh, the front page of the Times, saying that the water companies want to increase household bills by up to 40% to mix meet strict pollution targets because they blatantly have not been meeting them so far it's i mean it's it's the same as uh you know every everyone in the uk feels as though they're paying for energy bosses profits and supermarket profits and water have thought yeah, actually we'll have a piece of that all that stuff that we completely cocked up over the past years when we've been pumping turds into the seven uh we admit now that that's wrong we've sat the boss but can you guys pay for it please and you cheered me up miranda because i got here and you said you'll be southern water won't you and yeah we well, said you're paying about 470 quid a year now it's going to go up to 681 yeah, or something I can, I've, like that. I've got the precise bills do you want them please Please. Yeah, okay. Just Southern so can, Water. Just so I can adjust my overdraft. <laughs> Southern Water will be raising your bill from 432 to 672 It's just, It's just so unsustainable, it's almost funny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just crazy. But at least she'll be signing on now. <laughs> <laughs> the papers aren't just gloomy news and grim statistics. There's the fun stuff of style, sport, science, space... Clever pets and happy people in big trousers explaining how they lost weight. So, what's caught our eyes today? What do you have, John? So, The Times has got a story which is transparently based on a press release from Deliveroo (laughs) about how we're all going to be eating in the mid-2000s. But as with this kind of press release, uh, it lives and dies by the puns. Uh, It's talking about trends like meganism. What's meganism? Do I eat myself? Meganism, which is a hyper-personalised diet plans. Uh, There's also out a hole which is alcohol mimicking drinks without the downsides. So like, basically, if you've ever watched Star Trek, it's that kind of stuff. OK. Uh, and, uh, and the one they've gone with for the headline, foodgasms, Ooh. in which the eating experience alters your mental state to make you feel awakened and stimulated. I, I don't really see the appeal of mixing those two things up. But, no, you know. no, me neither. I mean, you have, you have one bite, and then blokes just have to sit down for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Jamie? <laughs> this is from the mirror. Rapper the gaffer. This craze, this, this, I'm sure this must be just like tax write-off time. We had Ryan Reynolds and um, uh, his, his mate Rob McElhenney buying uh, Wrexham and, you know, off the back of basically to get a commission from Netflix for the great documentary. Um, Stormzy and uh, Premier League footballer Wilfred uh, Zaha are buying uh, AFC Croydon Athletic in South London, which is a great, you know, great story. Great kind of boost to see, you know, people are going to go there just to spot Storms. Um, it's just if you were if you were a lower league football club now, you would accept nothing less than a celebrity boss now, <laughs> wouldn't you? 
you know, Woking, my local club Woking, you know, holding out for Charlotte Church to come in and save them. <laughs> you know, it's just something like I do love these stories though, because it's it, it's it's great local paper fodder. Yeah, right? they're incredibly cheering, aren't they? Yeah, I just think Ted Lasso has a lot to answer for. Exactly. Very true. Okay, and I have the male who is still banging on about about um Saint Bernard. I keep calling him Saint Bernard, but it's actually Sir Bernard Jenkin, um, the nudist that they hate. <laughs> Um, um, and uh, they, this is their headline. How can Sir Bernard still stay silent as MP says sorry for Weiss lockdown drinks party? OK, so it's the class, It's the story that he went to a lockdown drinks party, they say. But Private Eye has, um, uh, knows the kind of uh, reason why they're really going for it. And that is because the Mail on Sunday held a leaving party during COVID in direct contravention of the rules. It was led by the paper's then editor, Ted Verity, who's now the editor of, ooh, what's the paper I'm holding? The Mail. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be the reason why poor old St Bernard is getting it in the neck. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Jamie East. Thanks for having me. And thanks to John Elledge. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and all the medals championes review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. Links are in the show notes. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when it's been discovered that orangutans can beatbox in the same way as humans. Proving that the Utang clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Hey. Hey. See you next time.